Welcome back to another installment of Fellowship of the Ranks. He's Joe Smith of The Athletic, bringing you all the insider info on your Minnesota Wild and Gophers hockey. And I'm Scott, simply here to maintain production, but appreciate you all joining us wherever and whenever you are listening. Joe, we, we have a name now. It's feels a little different now. It's more real. It's... uh. It's great. I, mean, I think uh, it's funny that two relatively creative people takes a while to come up with a name. You know, it's not like you're naming. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> not, not like you're naming your firstborn child, which you did, and that uh, that I will be doing eventually here. But uh, it's cool to have it. I think you know both of us are Lord of the Ring enthusiasts. My wife and I just got back from New Zealand a few weeks back from Hobbiton to the Hobbiton tour around, so it was right on the brain there. And I think. Anybody who follows hockey, covers hockey, knows there is that fellowship and, and bond and friendship. That anybody in the state of hockey doesn't have to be a wild player and gophers. So there's that connection that kind of crosses all networks there. So it seemed like a pretty good fit, and uh, it's kind of fun too, I think. No, definitely. And it's funny to me too that, I mean, it'd been a little over a year of us like just grabbing beers, shooting the shit about hockey, and then all of a sudden it takes you saying you're going on a trip to New Zealand, and I'm like – I got to ask this question, a very delicate question. Will this be part of your trip? And you're like, oh, absolutely. I'm like, okay, add one more arrow to the quiver. This is great. Um, and it's funny that you bring up the the name of kids too, because I just saw a video pop up recently where it's basically someone explaining like, wow, I never realized how many people I hate. Until <laughs> I decided to start working through names for my kids. And it's, it is the most true thing ever. Like, I'm sure you guys are going through it right now. There's so many names that either Laura thought was great or I thought were great. And the other one's just like, hard. No, here's why. Let me explain this <laughs> of a human to you. And it's like, Oh, okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Luckily we have a list in our, our notes pad on our phones with like 12 of from each side and like a casually putting X's or, stuff next to them or not and you know we won't we won't have a baby without a name at least but it'll be some consternation towards the end there and if we have to go through hobbit character names then we'll have to do it our dog is named sam after samwise Gamgee and uh samuel tarley from uh game of thrones oh, so to make sure too. okay this is yeah because you know the awkward but loyal companion you know just always by your side and just so I think, so we are kind of sad. We already use we've already used Sammy. Um, we can't have two Sammys in the household, so that one's that one's out. Well, you probably also don't want to name your kid the awkward loyal companion. Like that is such a fitting name for a dog. And I actually never connected the dots that like Sam in both shows is absolutely the exact same character in a lot of senses. Yeah. I, now I gotta wonder: Are there other shows? that are along the same like you know fantasy type realm where there's a sam i'm gonna have to do some googling into that i mean going off game of thrones though if you had a girl be pretty badass to just say a girl has no name you're on the name or well you can name her like you know daenerys or you know cersei you know be a queen right off the bat you know the one uh game of thrones name that i actually think is really cool so, you know, feel free to steal it um, if it's a girl. But I think Arya is actually a really cool name. Yeah. No, I think I think Arya out there. I think we have Shay is one of our, our names up there, May. And I don't want to give it all away so people can't steal it. But uh, but that's yeah. uh, 
it's going to be exciting. And obviously, you know, it's you can wait till the last minute and you can just wait till you see the baby to give that person the name. So we will leave with one and we will gladly promote it everywhere. Yeah, we uh, had to lie to people for a little over three months and say, yeah, we've got a short list, but haven't decided yet. Like we knew we just were not going to play the game of telling people and then having someone either ruin it for us because they said like, oh, really? That name? Like I've seen that happen way too many times to other people. Or like you say it and they're like, oh, that's actually a name that we're going to use. Like, uh, damn. Okay. So wait until they're a real human and then you can <laughs> throw it in and it's all good. But None of you are here to hear anything about my kid or his name or, I mean, maybe I, I'd love it if some of you are here for some of the Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings nerdery, because we will definitely be implementing that moving forward. Brass tax. let's talk Minnesota Wild Hockey here, Joe. And you actually went on the most recent road trip here, and it was an eventful one uh, with the Edmonton Oilers and the Seattle Kraken. What can you bring to us, both on ice and from the team, just on the road trip in general? Well, it was, it was a huge week for them, no doubt. Like, it, you know, they knew it would be a tough, tough week having Vancouver on Monday, back-to-back uh, -back in Winnipeg on Tuesday, and then the two other Western Harvard, one Seattle Kraken, the team that they're kind of fighting for a playoff spot. So, you know, I think it was kind of almost the best-case scenario to win three out of four there, the one loss in Winnipeg. But you saw a lot of things coming together that really have made this stretch really good for the wild top line again you know Matt Boldy's playing a really mature game uh, him and Kaprizov and Erickson act an irreplaceable player on this team have been terrific and they've been really uh, like John Hines said like they're not just scoring points they're playing the kind of style that the whole team needs to play their commitment and buy-in and they're starting an identity for the group and that kind of like leads down to the rest of the team so they're helping carry it the team and then you saw Gustafson and Fleury put in back-to-back -back really good starts. And now that's going to be really important because they're not going to make the playoffs and catch Nashville and St. Louis if, if Fleury and Gustafson are having below 900 save percentage, which they have had for most of this year. I think Hines said like 920 is kind of where you want to be in a game, at least to give yourself a chance. And on Friday in a game where the, the Oilers scored two power play goals and you have McDavid and Dreisaitl, Gustafson was – one of his best starts of the season and be able to make some saves, especially in the third period when the wild were getting kind of caved in a bit. So sometimes you need goalies to make those timely saves and steal you some points, which I think Gustafson did on Friday. And then Flurry on Saturday, they had a big cushion in the game. So led by the power play and five on three, but he made some, you know, a key breakaway save when it was two to one in the first period, there's a shorthanded breakaway on Tano that he made a stop there in the second period, five saves the penalty kill. So, I think you're you're seeing a team that's kind of realized what kind of style they have to play and what kind of buy-in they need from everybody in order to be successful. Um, you can't just play the game you want to play. You have to play the, t the way that the team needs you to play in order to uh, have success. And that's why I think Matt, Matt, Matt Boldy has been doing so well and it's why it's led to the rest of the team. Yeah, I mean, every time he goes out there and keeps doing the thing, and I, I – I just keep going back. I think that's now eight games since uh, Bill Guerin was named GM of Team USA, and he's got seven goals, seven assists. That's uh, not too bad for your initial tryout. I know we got a couple of years from yeah. to build up to it, and there's been concerns in the past with Boldy's consistency, right? Like there's ups, there's downs. Are you seeing anything different that leads you to believe that maybe the streakiness could fade? 
I think I think possibly sometimes it just clicks for a guy, whether it's a meeting with a coach or just realizing and reinforcing with positive results that this is I'm really good when I play this way and we win when when I play this way. And I think the last month or so, remember that one game in Chicago out of the break when they played really poor and they still won and John Hines is like too many passengers in this lineup and he was pointing to the top six, right? It was it was not he was talking about Connor Dewar there you know and the next game he put those three guys together and ever since they've they've all played that north south game committed and the one knock on boldy over the times incredibly talented and got a great shot and he can skate he has a size is that he wasn't a wasn't consistent and b wasn't driving to those areas and playing more of a north south he was going east west trying to be too cute maybe too many games he was maybe uh, not as strong on board battles and, and that thing. And now you're seeing all three of those guys playing that same way. It's kind of like Erickson Eck plays every single shift, right? And when, when Boldy plays with that kind of hard skill as Hines calls it, right? He's could be a really dominant player in this league. So if this clicks and this is a, the turning point and this is who he is the next year or two, it will be really hard for Bill Guerin to say, hey, he can't fit in this USA lineup. But the Wild also don't want a playoff run at any point without a guy like that playing like this. So. Either way, it's a good sign for them as they are now, as of this recording, four points back of Nashville for the final playoff spot with another huge week. Uh, Nashville on Thursday and St. Louis on Saturday. And the Thursday's game might be one of the bigger regular season games they've had in a long time. That's a big yeah. swing game for them. I mean, it's a swing month looking ahead, too. If we get ahead of ourselves a little bit and look at March, you look at the teams that they're going to have to beat to get that last wild card spot. And that's assuming that one of the teams above doesn't fall off. but so far, all indications are we've got five teams fighting for that last spot. And you've got three matchups with St. Louis, who you're fighting with. You've got two with Nashville in March and, of course, the Nashville match coming up. Like, there's a lot of ground now to, like, really bolster your chances or completely deflate them. Like, in your mind, looking at the road ahead, how realistic is a playoff bid for this Minnesota Wild team? I, I think it's realistic, no doubt. I mean, I... One, they have those matchups with the teams that they're chasing, right? And two, they have one of the more favorable schedules down the stretch. They have three against the San Jose Sharks. And they play the, the Chicago Blackhawks. They have a couple against Arizona, which which is fading right now. Uh, probably going to be a seller at the deadline in a couple of weeks. You know, they do have some, you know, tough games here and there. Like they'll be in Colorado uh, next week around the trade deadline and a back-to-back situation. So they do have some tougher games. But as far as they played all the, the best Eastern Conference teams already, they're through some of the top teams in the West. So I think this could be a chance if they play consistent like they are and they get the goaltending that they can go um, a little bit of a run here. And a four-point swing is pretty easy to do when you, you play those teams head-to-head. So uh, the key is not dipping into a couple of different losing streaks because time eventually will run out here. Critical to that path, as you already kind of alluded to, Jewel Erickson Ack, I think I can safely say that the collective Minnesota fan base basically held their breath for about two minutes there and have now let out a nice sigh of relief. We're pretty comfortable here. Jewel Eric's neck, no health issues as of today. As of today. And by the time this is comes out, we'll already have a game against Carolina, of course. <laughs> yeah. So um, <laughs> that we're recording this on Monday. But yeah, John Hines said after the game, there shouldn't be a problem with him going forward. And obviously it's, there was some pain there and, and it didn't look good at the time, but like you're right, he, he's one, the most irreplaceable guy on this team, and so he's an anchor of that top line. So for him to go would be a 
kind of another, another kick in the gut for them this year. Every time they got started to get really rolling, like in December, that game in Winnipeg, they lost Gustafson and they lost Kaprizov and, you know, went down from there. So for them, they make this run and be so close and all of a sudden before the deadline and get another big injury would be pretty much a crushing blow, I think, to this group. Tell me if you've heard this before, but I know uh, we just dropped uh, another Mark andre Fleury hit for the Athletic, and all indications are he's not really interested in leaving. He's not, and like it's not surprising to me because I think we've gotten the, the vibe that as long as the Wild were in the race that he wants to see it through. And so after Saturday's game, this kind of got him on the side there after the scrum and like, hey, like the team's rolling, you're feeling good, like is it really hard for you to envision like not being here after March 8th? And he was like, definitely. He's like, I, this is my team. This is a guys that I'm bonding with, you know, we're playing together. We're fighting in this fight together. Like, I don't want to quit, you know, when he called it quitting, they're not going to be completely far out of it in seven days. That will be a situation. If they were like tanking and last in the West or close to that. And then I could see that being a conversation he'd, ha- he'd want to have yeah. because he loves playing, he loves playing playoff hockey. But he's such a team guy. He's such a big part of that room. And so I think to himself, like, just him saying that out loud, I'm sure that the players know that in itself. But I think it's probably reassuring, like, hey, a three-time cup champion is believing in this team and believing in this process and, and this group that they can do it. So let's see if they can go on a run here. But, yeah, he was he has all, has all the cards, right? He holds all the cards in the situation with a no-move clause. And Garen was eventually going to go up to him before the deadline if there were some suitors. But I think he – wanted to get out of the way. Assuming they don't lose, they'll lose five in a row going to the deadline, that's something that may be changed. But I, I think overall, it's pretty safe to say that he wants to say he doesn't want to get traded. If Vegas Sportsbook, as of today, has even odds on it, which way do you lean between Marc-Andre Fleury being a part of the Wild organization, more from a front office or you know even coaching perspective, or him actually coming back for another season with the Minnesota Wild? It's a very good question, and I I, I think we've all – kind of assumed and thought that next year would be start of the Volstead era in terms of uh, a good du- combo with, with Philip Gustafson. And that's very well could be the case. We don't know if Fleury wants to play next year. We don't know if he could East very well decide after this year that, Hey, this is it. And he know he knows when it's time and he wants to, to get away. So I think I, until that door is officially closed, I think the wild could be open to it. The problem is you got to see where is Volstead, right? Is <laughs> is he overly ripe and ready to play? You don't want to just keep him down there just to keep him down there, right? If it, we benefit for some more time, you could look at that. But, you know, I don't think there's going to be like a goalie trade in the next two weeks, but that's some of the decisions you have to make this summertime. If Flurry plays well on the stretch, says I want to play another year, and then all of a sudden you're like, you have decisions to make of, could you trade one of them? Do you keep them both? But I think the Wilds would want to keep him in the organization at some point or fashion. And who better to be around a team and team culture and about a, a goaltending? Like hire him as a goaltending consultant and have him not to travel and go to all these games, right? Then to be a goaltending coach and go to 80, 82 games, right? Or like whatever. Um, he can kind of come in and, and work with Iowa. He can come work with the Wilds. But I think having him as part of the team would be something that I think they would probably be open to. Do they even come up with like, a new role entirely for him, like CVO chief vibes officer or something. He's literally just there to keep everyone happy and good spirits. Chief prank officer or whatever, but uh, there we go. Yeah. Well, some teams have their own goaltending, not say consultant, but a goaltending advisor or whatever that works across the whole entire organization. Not 
Freddy Shabbat's job kind of thing. So, yeah. you know, and we'll, you have to see what this guy wants to do if you're playing 20 years in the NHL. Does he want to go right back into hockey? Does he want to take some time with his young kids? You know, a lot of things that have to be decided by Marc-Andre Fleury before we kind of already pencil him into a, a new job of his own. But but for right now, the good news for the Wild fans is that he wants to stay and uh, he wants to be part of this tandem with Gustafson that gets them in the playoffs. And then there'll be a whole other conversation and controversy if they get that far, who plays in each game, right? Yeah. Have you been there before? For sure. And so Fleury established more than likely staying. Who are you hearing could potentially be on the move? And again, we'll get into the trade deadline more next week, especially talking more league wide with it a little bit. But who for the wild do you see kind of being tossed around right now? Well, something that, you know, colleague Mike Russo and I from the athletic wrote in our Monday um, insider column that could the Deweys, Duhame and Dewar could be guys that uh, potentially be moved before the deadline. Um, not because the wild don't like these players, but because of, uh, you'll have Maroon and, and Felino coming back. Kutsin Dinoff, we wrote that story too, potentially could be signed uh, to get bring to North America in coming weeks. So Mason Shaw is ready to come back. And if you don't have Brandon Duhame pending UFA as part of your plans for next year and you think you might not qualify Connor Dewar as an RFA with Arbrights this summer, then that could be something where Bill Guerin could work ahead and, and maybe get a pick or a, a player or a prospect uh, or just make a move. Cause a lot of people at the deadline are looking for third, fourth line mm-hmm. players, centers, guys with, you know, some grit. So I think I'm not sure they're not going to blow anybody away and like, like Blake Coleman and get a first round pick for him. But uh, if you're going to, if you're going to lose them for nothing anyway, in the summertime and you have guys that can kind of step in, it's a way to kind of stealthily sell without selling off teams where you can't make the playoffs. So, those are two names to watch. Uh, you know, Zach Bogosian's hurt under pending UFA, and Bill Guerin told us he's hoping or thinking about bringing him back next year. I don't know if he would necessarily move, but Pat Maroon's a guy I think a lot of teams have interest in as soon as he's healthy, which he has that back surgery last month, and so he'll probably be back after the deadline playing-wise, but that would be another option as far as if they're going to make any moves. I don't think they're going to be buyers or major buyers by any stretch. I think they'll just have some of their internal guys, like a Marcus Foligno coming back would be another addition for them and Maroon and obviously Bogosian. Do you see a guy like Maroon potentially being on the move, just given his playoff pedigree, if there's not really an appetite to bring him back next year with some of the young blood that might be here? Like, or is it just, no, we're, we're riding it. No, I mean, I think it's, I think it's fair. I think it's fair to look at him as a guy that can move because he has that pedigree. He's a kind of guy with his size, his hands, his experience uh a typical kind of contender would want to have and he wouldn't be a huge price right and the wild have shown the last month and a half that they can win and go on a run uh, not saying without him but he hasn't been around and they've had a good vibe and they've had a good guys in the room so if you don't think pat maroon is coming back next year then that's another option but they're not just going to fire sale and sell everybody because they need to have players in the lineup and guys get injured and so they can't just give away all their depth and everything like that but I think there are guys that if they get an intriguing offer that could be on the, and you could also get a player back in those deals. So you could get ready to do him, trade him and get a player. It won't be uh, a superstar player, but you can get another depth player that you can add to your, your roster. And I know we'll probably talk about this even a little bit more next week, unless there's anything more imminent right now, but the deadline for who's Nadinov to join obviously, and actually be able to play out the remainder of the season is the trade deadline. Any word? Has there been any change, or is it still the expectation that 
it's not a matter of if, but more when? Uh, we kind of laid it out in the story today on The Athletic, but, you know, he's still under contract technically in the KHL until April 30th. So they would have to gotcha. work out something with Sochi or work out with his team there to bring him to North America and, and get out of that contract early and, and sign his ELC and, and get, get rolling. So I don't think it's a matter of, of in question whether there's interest from the wildlist there is or interest from Konstantinov, which there is. It's more so of anything that deals with Russia right now isn't a very easy transition or transaction. So I think if they can get some cooperation there, I think you'll see him come in and get, it's good for him to get settled and figure things out. I think as Kirill Kaprizov said in our story, like he knows how hard it is to learn the language, to learn how to do anything in this North America. And so he'd be a big, good bridge. And he's been texting with him, uh, offering suggestions, and I'm sure he'll bring him along and help him get adjusted to where maybe if he plays a little bit here down the stretch, he could also just be ready starting in camp next year to be a real factor. So nothing is set in stone or, or guaranteed, but at least they're, if we read the tea leaves, you'll see mutual interest in both sides in, in getting over here. Maybe we shift gears then to the Gophers, where we actually have a bit of a rivalry grudge match this weekend. You being the uh, alum of Michigan, Maize and Blue, mm-hmm. and me just uh, born and raised. I Honestly, I've cared more about Gopher hockey than I've cared about any professional hockey team, which has brought a lot of pain, but that's not important. <laughs> What are we looking at here for this weekend where the Gophers, obviously, as you'll hear in the interview coming up here with Jimmy and what we talked about last week with Oliver, obviously this is like gut check time. This is when you got to be playing your best hockey, get rounded out so that you're firing on all cylinders going into the postseason. Michigan is fighting for their lives. What do you expect coming into this matchup? Well, obviously a lot's on the line, like you mentioned. I think if Michigan does sweep, they get to like number three seed, I think, in the tournament there. So this is a rare situation for both Michigan, I think, is usually being up, up there in the standings. And I think Minnesota, who we've talked to Oliver and Jimmy about being a little more underdogs going into the year based upon who they lost in the offseason. But they have been playing some of their best hockey since the turn of the, the calendar year. Uh, like, we'll, like Jimmy will allude to and talk about that more in our interview but kind of the, the growing pains that they had early on, the loss in Madison, the sweep there. Um, so I think overall, this is a, a chance for them to use as kind of a, a springboard into what they hope is a, a tournament run like they had last year. And the fact that they have all these young defensemen playing so well, the fact that their top players are being their top players, you know, Snuggerud and Moore and, you know, obviously close in net. So it could be a good either confidence booster going into the tournament or, like you said, gut check time if it doesn't go as well on home ice. And we've talked a lot already about where the Gophers are at personally. Like, where do you see Michigan? Because obviously both teams lost a lot of uh, talent coming out of Frozen Four bids last year. But Michigan just seems a little bit more out of sorts, I'd say. Like, still playing solid hockey, but is the identity still there? Has it shifted a little bit? Like, what are you seeing from them? It's a tough one. You I mean sometimes programs lose star players, whether it's like Fantilli or Cooley, and, and are able to kind of come up there with the depth and and step in and not be those guys, but kind of by committee get it done. And it seems like you know Michigan has this year kind of worked around and tried to find its identity um, as a team and find guys that can step into those roles. And I don't think they necessarily scare you as much as they did last year. You know, I was there in the Frozen Four, and, and so were you watching that 
that tournament, and I thought they were a legitimate team that could could win it. I don't think people are coming into this year or coming into the spring thinking Michigan's really scaring a lot of people. But you know, anytime you have a team with that a program with that pedigree, and you have guys that are clearly talented and recruited that way to to be difference makers, who knows what can happen? But I think this is why this is weekend is really important for seeding purposes for both teams. I'll put them in the best position for the for trip to the Frozen Four if they can possibly make it. We'll have to wait and see this weekend. Big matchup for both teams for different reasons, but I think we all know every time these two come together, ever since the inception of the Big Ten Hockey Conference, these are games that you do not miss. Like everyone should either be attending or turning on their TVs for this one. Coming next week, we'll talk a little bit more specifically about the state tourney. Again, just a fantastic holiday that I go out and celebrate every year. But section finals this week, getting everything wrapped up. Actually, a few that are in semifinals, but the one I have to shout out uh, because they uh, they called me out last year. We have Elk River. Actually, maybe it was two years ago. But we have Elk River High School thumping the favorite from section 8AA. Honestly, a lot of years they are in uh, Moorhead. And that's one that Joe, like honestly, growing up, I always kind of pulled for them in the double A bracket. I played single A, so like I didn't have any horse in the race. They had awesome orange jerseys. Their mascot is the Spuds. Matt Cullen has his ties there. And it's just like one of those teams that's hard to hate. So I've always just kind of like vocally cheered for them. And I was lobbying pretty hard for them the other year. And Elk River actually beat them and upset them again. And I had like four different Elk River players like up in my mentions, like all in my face. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. I'm an Elk River fan now. We got the hashtag Elk Gang going. I even, I think it's still in my bio, even just being a ERHS super fan. So good for them. I hope they can pull off uh, the win here and go to state so I can uh, cheer for them proper. It's exciting. I know you got your first taste of it last year. Anything like that stands out to you from your first viewing of the state tournament? Well, this the week would be my first one. Last year I was on the road. Oh, uh, you were on the road. Okay. So yeah, so I'm hoping to sneak in there and, and catch it myself and and see what all the hype is about because you see that place sold out for high school, which is unbelievable. So yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to check it out this week and I will report back. But uh, definitely another example. I see the videos online every year of the crowds midweek for state high school hockey. It's it's pretty incredible. As our guest, the first two weeks could attest to, right? Oliver Moore That's next right. last week and Jimmy Snuggerud coming up next for us. A really fun interview about. His background, his family, uh, legacy at Minnesota, his grandpa, who's at age 80 plus, was still skating and doing stuff like that. So how difficult was lethal shot, how that happened. So a lot of good stuff here in the interview. Really enjoyed it and looking forward to having him back on the show, whether it's later this year or next year when he's part of the St. Louis Blues organization. Perfect. And with that, let's just kick it over to the man himself. This interview with Jimmy Snuggerud is brought to you by our friends at Waggle Golf. Waggle Golf believes that what you wear on the course should reflect your individuality, who you are, where you're from, your hobbies, interests, and passions, all the stuff that makes you, well, you. That's why every design is inspired by the desire to create a piece of apparel that strikes a chord when you see it, that makes you say, wow, 
that was made for me because in a lot of ways it was ready to get your waggle on head over to getyourwaggleon.com and use promo code SP10 to take 10% off your order. Here's Pleased to be joined by one of us by way of Chaska, Minnesota, playing one year of high school hockey with Chaska High School before an early departure for the U.S. National Team Development Program. Now gold medalist at World Juniors and Hobie Baker contender for your Minnesota Golden Gophers, Jimmy Snuggerud. How are we doing, Jim? I'm doing good. Good to be here. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Great having you. Uh, I know I'm sure you're already aware that we had uh, your boy Oliver Moore on here last week, and I'm going to throw this one at you. We'll see if you do any better than him, but be honest. How long did it take you to see the Minnesota Wild logo was not just a nature scene? (laughs) Uh, I must have been like sixth or seventh grade when I went to a practice, maybe fifth grade, one of my uh, buddies pointed it out to me and it took me a little while to notice but uh i don't want to realize it i mean i haven't seen a difference since right yeah w- would it shock you if i told you that oliver learned when he met with us no way yeah it would shock. actually no it really wouldn't he's uh unsurprising did you have a favorite wild player growing up i know his was like parise he had parise jersey did you have one that you kind of stood out and kind of watched I was a huge Penguins fan, so I didn't – I mean, I liked watching the Penguins a lot, but I really liked watching Koivu. I think his, his shootout move was my favorite. Every time they go into a shootout, I'd love to see his forearm backhand deke and, and go nuts when he scored. I'm sure you've had that one before, haven't you? Yeah, when I was younger, I'd you know, go on my backyard <laughs> rink and try and go forehand backhand. So, Jimmy, I actually grew up a Penguins fan too. Like, I was in that weird bubble where growing up there was no team here and Lemieux was just kind of really good at hockey. We had a fan ask on Twitter when uh, Joe Smith threw out that we uh, were going to be doing the interview and asked the significance of number 81. And please, please tell me it has something to do with Phil Kessel. <laughs> it doesn't, no. I've kind of been around nine my whole life. And obviously, when I was coming in as a, at my 18 year, I was number nine. And then we we're sure if uh, Walker is going to come back. But I didn't choose number nine. So I just, eight, 18 was taken too. So I just say 81 because eight plus one is nine. Pretty unique, though. It's a unique number, like, you know, either college or NHL. So, um. yeah, no, it is. Once I chose it and I, I realized it was Kessel all around. And obviously, I love <laughs> Kessel watching him play. So, legend. Yeah. Well, congratulations, obviously, on, on World Junior. I know talking to guys who've been through it, they call it one of their most memorable experiences of their life, you know, until you get to the NHL, of course. But the moment that kind of went viral, I guess, for, for you was kind of the, the first goal against Finland, I believe, in the semis where you guys were down a little bit. And what do you remember about that moment leading up to it? I, I don't know if one of your teammates I heard gave you a little bit of a pep talk beforehand or like how do you guys, how did that kind of get set up? Yeah, I remember well, we worked on it a lot, kind of the, the whole way there of kind of me being in that spot and hopefully taking, you know, a couple of timers. I we made some good team plays and pre-tournament plays, but we didn't get one in the tournament really. And before the draw, Gabe Pearl kind of came up and it was like, you know, we haven't had one. Uh, one seen one of your one-timers determine, you know, like put this put this one through the net and then trust the crowd. So, uh, you know, luckily it came to me and 
I didn't trust the crowd because, you know, we were obviously down too low and it was a late goal. But, I mean, yeah, I was, you know, fortunate enough to go in. Every championship is different. Everything aftermath is always different. What's your most vivid memory of the celebration after you guys won the gold? Like, is it a moment with your family, like your dad and grandpa? Or was it a moment with, like, some of your teammates, like, at a, a team celebration at a restaurant? Or what's the most vivid memory you have from after you guys won? Just kind of being in the hotel with all the families there after the, that last game. We had our hotel kind of out for rented out for all the parents to come and hang out and kind of just seeing everyone's family there and being with your own, you know, mom and dad. And you obviously see all these other guys' parents there. It's so cool to just, you know, be with them after that tournament because, you know, more than half of those guys in the room lost it, uh, to Sweden our 18 years. So to see the, you know, the happiness and the joy in that room, to know that we won and then just hanging out with the guys all that night was Super special, you know. We didn't get a bunch of time together because you know guys had flights at three and three and four in the morning. But you know, to be in that room to be with those guys during that time was so special. Who was all all there with you? Who was all there, like family and and family friends wise that got you be there for it? So my mom, dad, and my one of my sisters was there, and then you know, my agents came for the the final game, and it was cool to happy to see them too. But my parents and my sisters, you know, they were there throughout the whole tournament and they're watching. So, I mean, everyone's families had a lot of people there. So it was cool to see everyone there. Talk to me about the electricity in the locker room after the games, just chanting, Oh mama, don't you cry. Rut, Rut, uh, McGordy did it. And he was, he was a little nervous. He was going to get it wrong. But I remember our 17 year, we, we had, uh, I don't know, spring training or something. And after uh, each workout, it was like a you know a couple hour workout. We were getting bagged. We would run around the parking lot just like screaming that chant as loud as we could when it was raining out or whatever. Go for a run. Guys would jump out of the line and I don't know. His we'd do that. So I mean, he had it down to a T. And you know, to do it in the locker room after winning that World Junior Gold Medal was obviously really cool. Personal uh, selfish one here for me, but I was actually uh, recently just had my first kid, born on the twenty eighth of December. And I'm sitting there with this crappy, like, Wi-Fi, some kind of bootlegged video of you guys playing against the Swiss as I'm sitting there waiting for all this to go down. And it took you a whopping 13 minutes to put up a Hattie. Like, what is that like? You know, shots were just going in. It was fortunate. I mean, one went off the helmet. I missed a breakaway chance right before. Like, pucks were kind of just bouncing my way, honestly. And, you know, that happens sometimes. And, uh, you know, cut – made some pretty good passes to me, won some draws, you know, Rutt was there winning the battles. And, you know, once, you know, the shots are going in, they're going in. And I think just kind of, you know, to see them and do it, you know, with the line mates next to me was so cool. And to do it in the world juniors was obviously cool, but I mean, I think we took it to it, took it to the Swiss the whole game. And that was one of our team's, you know, best games. Jimmy, I was uh, there with you guys in the frozen four last year, uh, following you guys around and could tell how special or tight knit that group it probably still is even the guys that are, are gone now. I'm just curious that what was that, that flight home like for you in terms of you had a lot of guys you probably knew were probably knew Brock was leaving. You might have had an idea guys might be like, what was that the motions of that flight home and conversations like with the guys of kind of both reliving kind of, kind of the, the run you guys have had as a group and what might come next. It was a tough flight, obviously. Uh, you know, obviously guys were leaving. We were in Tampa and, you know, Nizy could have stayed there in Tampa. Obviously, they were playing, I think it was a couple days later with Toronto. But, you know, he came home with us and spent a day with us. And, you know, he decided to, to sign at the end of that day. But that last day with him and our team was pretty special because, I mean, that flight home was quiet. But that next day, we were all with each other uh, hanging out at the house. And, 
kind of just being with each other. So I'd say it was obviously a really tough flight, but you know, to, to, to be with the guys the day after and Fape signed that morning, but he was on a flight <laughs> that afternoon and cool state and obviously signed later in the uh, next, whatever next year, but to be with those, the younger guys and, and know that we all have a chance to come back for a second year and do this again is obviously really cool and shows how tight knit of a group we were last year and even out of this year with all the new freshmen. I heard a lot about the hockey house and you guys watched a lot of games there and NHL college just like, what was that day like? Or when you get back and all together, were you guys just like reminiscing? Were you guys playing video games like you always did? Or like what you guys do to kind of kind of decompress and maybe your last kind of last dance together, I guess? I would say guys were decompressing. Guys were just pretty, I mean, pretty sad, honestly, because, you know, that was, you know, one of the best teams all of us have played on. Uh, to just be with each other, though, I think is was a really special moment. I think we were just kind of hanging out, playing bags, making burgers and brats like we normally do there, I think. Yeah. And obviously didn't change much as people. I think it's just the the sadness that, you know, brat was – it was all motivation, honestly, though. Like, you could tell the day after uh, – those guys wanted, you know, to come back even more and win it this year. What's it like now going from a team last year where, I mean, expectations couldn't have been higher, right? Like you were part of one of the best lines that I've seen in college hockey team was so highly touted. And now this year, still a top 10 team, but obviously the expectations aren't quite the same, but we're playing in Minnesota this year. Like, <laughs> what is it like now with the team? Like, is it talked about a lot? Uh, I wouldn't say a ton, but, when it needs to be brought up, it does. I think our expectations were so high at the beginning of the year. And then we obviously come in first weekend and sweep uh, St. Thomas. And, you know, we're ranked number one in the country. Uh, I'd say our egos were probably a little too high to start the year. You know, guys were coming back thinking we have the same team again. And then, you know, we get swept by Wisconsin. And we get pushed down in the rankings all year. And and then Christmas kind of goes by. And we've came back to the second half as such a stronger team. I think our leadership roles and our leadership meetings have been so much stronger and to a point where, you know, we know that we can play against any team and, you know, we, we brought it these past few weekends. I think Friday against Notre Dame was our last little skid we've had. And I think that's the last time we're going to learn from these things. And I think, you know, we're only up from here and, and we have such a strong team and a strong group and our defensive core has been great for us. I think uh, our forwards, you know, need to work a little bit better defensively on on that side, but our, our offensive side has been huge. And then obviously Colzer has been great in that all year. Uh, he's yeah. He's been a stud. But I think just that leadership part that we have this year is where I think we have more, you know, more older guys and more leaders on our team. You mentioned leadership. I mean, now that you lose guys like Faber and Lacombe and Johnson, a lot of, you know, guys who've been there for a while, like anytime that happens, there's always maybe some younger guys or maybe surprising voices that kind of pop up that may not have had the opportunity before. Who are some guys who have kind of stepped in? I'm sure you have been one of those guys too, be having your stature in the program there. Like who have been guys that kind of stepped into the, some of those roles that were vacated by the guys who yeah. left? Uh, I'd say there's a lot of guys who have stepped in their roles. I think, you know, I've obviously done a little bit of that, but there's been so much more from our younger guys. I think, uh, you know, John Middleset has been one of those guys who steps in. You know, he doesn't play every game, but, I mean, man, when he plays, he's going and he's buzzing. He's such a energizer bunny. I mean, that that whole line of, you know, Middleset, Clark, you know, or Strobium and whoever's playing. I mean, they're 100% every single game and their voices on our bench. And then obviously we have the old line of Nelson Brunzinski and Evers and they're, you know, they've been voices their career here and, you know, they're going to stick with that all year about, you know, honing us in on short shifts and watch. And, and I think all of them more as being a freshman, most guys don't really have huge voices, but 
I mean, man, he's so determined and so motivated to be the best leader he can possibly be. And, you know, he shows it every day. Yeah, he also uh, really spoke highly of what John Metalstad does. Like he was kind of the under the radar guy for him. I am curious, though, looking back to, to last year as well. Obviously, you've got a great relationship with Logan Cooley. And I'm sure it's a little bittersweet to, you know, watch him leave and go start his pro career. But talk to us, like, what is that relationship like? And uh, I got to put you on the spot. Like, what was your pitch to get him to flip his commitment and go with the Gophers? I think our relationship is it's good. It stays the same. Obviously, we still communicate with each other and, you know, we'll hang out this summer when he comes home. And it's, you know, it's really good to hear about him. And obviously, when he signed, I was, you know, no more than happy. I was super happy for the, him and, you know, his career ahead. And he's obviously been doing good and he, he's been playing, you know, up, up to his almost standards. I think, you know, he makes plays so well and he does things so well. But when he first committed here and switched his commitment, I think it, it was kind of easy, easier for him. I don't think he necessarily wanted to go to Notre Dame super badly. I think he was kind of deciding between here and North Dakota. And, you know, luckily he chose here. But I think just kind of that. To get him to come here, he knew that how many uh, NHL uh, players come out of this this uh, uh, college, and you know how many how they've been mature as people too. And obviously, he sent that on to his you know younger cousin who plays at NTDP too. So it's it's nice to get that word down and you know keep bringing those good recruits in. Jimmy, I noticed you have a legacy there, your family uh, with the Gophers, your dad and your grandfather. Would you was there ever other schools that you even looked at? I don't know. Probably think your dad probably encouraged you to kind of at least see what was out there. Was there any other schools that were, uh, I'm sure, after you there? Yeah, I think my dad encouraged me to check everything out. He never really forced me to go to Minnesota. He didn't uh, care much that you know I came here or not. He just, he just kind of wanted me to do whatever. But I think I really I liked. Uh, I didn't go visit a lot of places. I liked Boston. I liked the idea of Boston and North Dakota and Minnesota, and then obviously Wisconsin and uh, Granados and in, in there because you know he's such a good coach, but. I think it just kind of came down to the, the practice habits that I would create here. Uh, you know, going against practice every day against Faber and Eyes and Lacombe and Johnson. I mean, I got so much better last year in just that aspect alone. And then, you know, I was really fortunate enough to play with two NHL players. So I think it all just kind of came down to me being in the right spot at the right time. And, and you know, it, it uh, kind of worked out for me. Plus, I think we heard that your grandpa told you you wanted to go to Minnesota yesterday, right? He wanted you there, right? <laughs> he, yeah. he, was all... he had a little different uh, opinion on it. He wanted me to go to Minnesota so he could watch. Tell us a little about him and his influence on your life here. I mean, I saw him like skating at age 80 plus or still going, doing some some uh, probably beer league skates there. Just what was it like kind of watching him growing up and and what kind of influence has he had on, on, on you as a player? Yeah, I think a huge influence. I think growing up, me and my uh, cousin – I used to go skate with him and his buddies and when he was probably around 75, 80. But I think to just kind of skate with him and be on the ice with him and all his old buddies kind of really grew that that love for the game for me to know that you can do it at you know such a late age and those guys would hang out and kind of be in that team atmosphere so late. So I think just kind of that part of hockey grew on me so quickly from a young age because I would just go out there with those guys and, and kind of see what he had to do. And obviously he still comes up basically every game he's sitting up there and I go see him after the game. And it's so cool to see that, you know, he's still rolling along and loves, you know, loves to watch hockey. He doesn't care about the noise, even though he's, you know, old and it's probably pretty loud for him, but he just <laughs> kind of loves being in the atmosphere. Does he have a less, does he have a more active celebration than your dad does 
during games? Does he, is he a little louder? Or I know your dad's kind of like the nonchalant, like he just had a hat trick in 13 minutes. I'm going to sit on my hands here. <laughs> I don't know. Honestly, I've never really asked if he does anything. I highly doubt that he does anything because he's you know pretty laid back guy. So everybody talks about your, your shot. Of course, it's your, your trademark. It's one of your biggest strengths. And I was curious how it developed because I covered the lighting for a long time in Tampa and, and Steven Stamkos would always tell me that he didn't have a good shot when he was a young kid. He was small, the way he was built. He was a good skater, but he had to really go to go to a um, shooting coach, a shooting academy and every day shooting four or five hundred shots just to build that strength and that technique. How was yours developed at a young age? Like, how did you kind of refine that and, and build into what it is today? Yeah, I think it was kind of just a repetitive, you know, notions of shooting the puck. I think my dad kind of emphasized me that on that on me early is you know aggressive shot always helps I think uh you know he obviously played at the highest levels he played against guys who had good shots and he would just kind of I remember I got like a shooting tarp in my garage pretty young and I would be in there a lot and then I went on to my uh, dad's school at Brickley Academy it's a hockey school out in uh it was in Chaska at the time and I remember you know fifth through eighth grade just kind of we got on the ice for an hour and a half every day just before and after practice, trying to be the first one, last month, the ice, just ripping pucks whenever I could during the skate, just shooting. And I think that's where it kind of grew mostly is just the repetitiveness of shooting and shooting and, you know, over the summer I was going in the shooting room at the Chaska Community Center and just kind of being in the in the shooting room whenever I could, I think during COVID was kind of a, a bigger impact too, because I got to, you know, shoot pucks in my garage a lot. And that's when, you know, it kind of grew for me mostly. But I think that's where it basically grew. I don't think there's a lot to it. I think it's just, you know, kind of being being in that atmosphere of shooting. Was there a moment where you figured, you realized this, wow, this is different? Like, not like a Fulton Reed, like shoot the puck through the net kind of thing, but like a moment where you, in a youth game or something like that, where people notice like, hey, this is not just a usual regular, regular shot. Yeah, I think maybe my first year Bantams, I remember taking like a one-timer and it was one of like the hardest shots I ever took. And it kind of just, it went in and went bar down and it's when I kind of realized like, man, I can kind of shoot the puck. I need to keep growing on this so I can use it and, you know, later game so I can, you know, mature with this shot and keep using it. So I think that's kind of when I realized that I had a, a decent shot. I mean, <laughs> I just decided to keep on working it from there, but. And how does that shot translate into, uh, as Oliver Moore says, you being a stick in golf? Uh, he kind of tagged you right away as being the best golfer on the team who would you actually tag besides yourself, though, as being the best golfer if you can't pick you? Probably Mikey Kester. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we go nose and nose. I mean, every time we're on the golf course, it's such a close battle. And it's, I mean, whenever we get get really close match, it gets pretty heated really quickly. But, I mean, he's good. He's a good golfer. I know he just got new irons, too. So I'll see how those things work. Everyone talks about, obviously, you know, from NICE, everybody says you have any any shell shot already, uh, no matter if you're playing in college or not. And uh, you saw these other guys go through it already, the experience. And they always say that, you know, the only, only person that can know if you're ready is that individual player themselves. Like, do you feel like you're you're ready to to take the next step and at some point here, uh, the summer, you know, turn pro whenever that is? Yeah, I think I'm I think I'm. Uh... I, I'm kind of living the moment now and I'm not super ready to make that decision yet. I think as a player, once that time comes, I'll, I'll be able to decide it on the spot. I think uh, right now I still, obviously I really don't know. And it's <laughs> kind of weird to say, but I honestly have no idea. Like once that day comes where it comes to my mind and, you know, my gut's telling me the right thing, what to do, then I'll, I'll go with that. But 
right now, I mean, it's I love being in college and I love playing college hockey with, you know, all of my best friends. So let's let's put it this way. Like, you know, nice that we, he came back for a reason. He came back. So he wanted to be a little more mature. He wanted to do certain things when you decided to come back or some things on your checklist. You said, hey, I want to do this other than, of course, you know, winning a national championship was a big motivator, I'm sure. But what were the things you said? Hey, this is something I want to work out in my game to kind of get myself ready think be a leader and be you know a more detailed player and I think last year I was kind of got away from details quite a bit I think it was kind of more uh producing focus whereas I needed to mature as a person and realize that you know this is a team and you know we're this uh you know where we could possibly not be as good so I need to mature as a player and you know hopefully win a national championship with this team so I think the leadership part has gone really well just kind of bringing in all the freshmen and the details in my game have improved so much since last year, just kind of the, the small little things, the small little aspects of my game. Want to be cognizant of your time here too, Jimmy. Uh, I know we're running up on it here. We do have for sure our waggle golf question to wrap things up. Do you have a minute to talk a little bit about just the, the draft experience as a whole back in 2022 and what it's, I mean, really just soaking the entire moment in? It was really, really cool. I think it all started, you know, obviously that draft morning just kind of, one in a day to go by quicker so you can be sitting down in your chair at the draft. But um, once it came, it's it was really a special moment. And then obviously Slavkowski went first, and, you know, the whole rank was going pretty wild because Wright was predicted first since he was 13 years old. So, I mean, to see that to start it off the day was pretty crazy. And then the trades happen, and then, you know, a couple of guys, your teammates get picked, and you see them walking down, they'll give them a hug, and you're so happy for them as a person. And you see them walking up on the stage, and then, you know, hear your name get called and it's like well like this is this is happening right now so you hug your family members and then you walk down the stairs and you're kind of blacked out obviously and there's nothing you can really do but smile and then you shake Gary Bettman's hand and it's like it's all kind of a blur but you, you go up and you know shake all the or for me it was the Blues staff hand and then you go down and uh, do all the media stuff and it's really hard to kind of take in the moment because everything's happening so fast and then by the snap of your uh, fingers, the night's kind of over and you're hanging out with all your buddies at wherever we were. But it was really nice to just kind of be in that moment. And, you know, you know, we had we all got, you know, picked that night. And, you know, obviously some guys didn't. And I was so happy to see them get picked the next day, too. Was there other teams? I know you interviewed probably with a bunch of them. Was there another team you're like, oh, this team picked a couple of picks before, before St. Louis that they were to take you? And there are teams you thought might have been in the mix there? Before? Yeah, I think it was kind of anywhere in that uh, – 20 to 25 range is kind of where I thought I was going. I thought, you know, maybe Minnesota could have taken me at 19, but I know they, I talked with them at the combine and, you know, obviously I wasn't sure how I was going to go, but, you know, I think where I got picked, I'm so happy and I'm so, you know, fortunate enough to be with the Blues and, you know, it's a great time to be with them right now. What was the weirdest interview question you had leading up to the draft? Uh, maybe Montreal. It was, it's not super weird. They just asked me, uh, what animal I am on and off the ice. <laughs> I gave a most, yeah. I, I gave a really normal answer. I don't know. I just think I said like a I can't remember, like a lion on the ice or something. Like like a can't remember what I said for off the ice, but it was just like normal questions all day. And then you walk into Montreal's and they ask you what animal you'd kind of just catches you off guard. Fans wanted us to, to ask you too, what's your impressions of St. Louis as a city being there like that? Like what were your overall thoughts on on the town itself. Cool. I mean, to go to Dev Camp, we did a we went to a ball game and we went uh, go karting and paintball too. So I think I really like the town. I like the city. I I'm kind of a big baseball guy too, so I love going to the Cardinals game and watching that. It's 
super hot though, which is <laughs> kind of the same as Minnesota, but it, it is really hot there. So, you know, we stocked up on water, but I, I do like the city a lot. One more for me, uh, from fans who wanted to ask to ask, uh, other than you, what, what about one of your teammates for the Gophers you played with or the world juniors has about the best shot? Oh, I mean, I have to go with Gauthier. I think his shot is, I mean, above all remarks, it's, it's pretty amazing. Just kind of as a release point, and you know, he shoots in every situation too. I think so. I mean, he obviously scored against Finland to win it too on that uh, power play. But I mean, he's had that shot since he was a 17 too at NTDP. So, all right, we can uh, close out here on this one then, Jimmy. It's our Waggle Golf question. Get your Waggle on dot com. Take 10 percent off that with promo code SP10. Jimmy, who is in your dream golf foursome and uh, bonus points if you pick a course? Yeah, I got to go TPC uh, Scottsdale for the course. I play that on my Xbox a lot, so I really like it. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to go Jack Nicklaus, uh, Gary Player, and Tiger Woods. I think I'd be pretty sick to play with those three. Just got to learn from them. Which one of them are you riding on the cart with? I would go Nicholas. I would like to you know, hear about all of his tournaments. And I think he took second in a lot of tournaments too. So I'd be here to kind of learn from him and learn how he kind of regrouped from all those losses and, and got all those wins. Nice. Yeah, Oliver picked four guys. So he's going to be the caddy, I think, for his foursome. <laughs> Not four people. So, uh, yeah, you understood the assignment. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thanks so much for, for joining us. I know it's uh, kind of a quote-unquote bye week for you guys, but I know you're still busy. So appreciate you doing it and looking forward to talking to you as the uh, Big Ten tournament comes up soon. And, uh, of course, you guys are dreaming about uh, playing in potentially the Frozen Four here in St. Paul. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Good luck, Jimmy. Thank you. What a guy, huh? Uh, thank you again so much, Jimmy Snuggerud, for jumping on. Um, I, I don't even know what more we can say here, Joe. Delivered on everything that I'm sure most fans expected. No, absolutely. Everything from your questions of how he persuaded Logan Cooley to come to Minnesota to, you know, my questions, how he developed his shot and how his family really shaped him, you know, with his dad and his grandpa. I thought that was a really cool anecdote about his grandpa kind of telling him that he needed to be Minnesota gopher <laughs> and stat like yesterday. But uh, I think it's also a mature player who took advantage of another year in school, which really improved the way he not only played on the ice, but became a lead, more of a leader. And I think uh, details of the game, like he said, that'll make him more uh, ready for the NHL. Uh, kind of like what, what Matthew Dyes did and look what he's doing with Toronto Maple Leafs. So good to have him on and love to get go to that alumni golf tournament <laughs> this summertime and see all these gophers and former gophers go at it because apparently all of them can really – can really hit it. So um, thanks to Jimmy for coming on. Let's get into what we've been sipping on this whole episode then. Here from great friends, Barrel Theory Beer Company, we have a beer called Off the Hop Rope. That's right. They always have their fun play on words or really cool pop culture or even like movie quote beer names. There's some incredible ones. Uh, we actually went down the list the first time we had Timmy Johnson on with us on the Soda Pod. But this one here, I mean, delicious, uh, really easily approachable for me. Like it's a hazy pale ale. So mm-hmm. coming in just under 6%, but it's just a, a very, very approachable, 
almost a, a gateway beer to IPAs if you're someone that's kind of on the fence about the whole concept and works great for uh, our audio guy here, Isha. Big wrestling fan, if anyone didn't know. Uh, get up in his mentions about that. But I don't know, Joe, what, what do you think about your first taste here of Barrel Theory? Oh, it's really good. Like, I think I enjoyed last week's beer, too, the, the District 5. And and like you mentioned, it's just a very smooth, approachable beer. Like, feels like you'd have more than you probably should of it, you know, since with uh, easily it goes down. But, yeah, like, I love IPAs, especially sitting outdoors. And now it's a perfect weather to crack one and, and have one on the patio um, just because it's that kind of weather right now. So I like it. And it is kind of a gateway to IPAs if you're not a big IPA person where it's not strong and completely hoppy to where – you can clearly tell this is an IPA, you know, um, so not over, over, over overwhelm you with it, but a good spring, early summer beers, it looks like. Yeah. And the other place that it goes great, everybody, XL Energy Center. That's right. Barrel Theory is really the only true craft beer representation at the X. They have raindrops on tap at, uh, I believe it's uh, the burger stand on the 100 level. Gosh, let's say that that's roughly like the 114-ish section. You might correct me if I'm wrong there. But even better is the Crowler Du Jour. That's right. Full Crowlers of Barrel Theory at section 106. I make sure that that's my first stop whenever I'm attending a game. But uh, anyone that does go out there, whether it's raindrops or the Crowler, if you get there on time, let us know what your thoughts are. Tag us in any of the photos online, but I couldn't be a better advocate of their offering at the X. Everyone likes their McGolden. It's great, but get one of these in just for a little extra something to kick off the night. Yeah, especially when you're spending a, a little money on these beers, might as well get more more bang for your buck there, a little more uh, pop. You can get a uh, you can golden pretty much anywhere. So nice to have a little bit change of pace, and especially have a pregame one to get you going. Might have some cool things in the works here with Barrel Theory as well, coming in the form of uh, some interesting segments moving forward. But for now, we'll keep a pin in that until anything's official. Right now, let's kick it over then, Joe. Wrapping things up in the final segment, what's going on with The Athletic? What do we have for recent articles that have dropped or any upcoming that we want to hit on here and uh, drive the folks towards? Absolutely. Well, I think everybody probably knows who follows The Athletic. We had that Monday column called The Weekly uh, Wild Insider. Mike Russo and I combined a lot of news, notes, analysis kind of thing. Um, so that was the one where we mentioned Kusin Dinoff and Kirill Kaprizov binding and potentially working together as he comes over eventually. And uh, the fact that the, the Duhame and Dewar might be on the move uh, by the trade deadline. Had a note there on Marcus Foligno. Congratulations to him and his wife. Had their third baby last week. Another girl, a big girl dad there. Middle name Janice to pay homage to his late mother, uh, who lost her battle with cancer. So, very cool sick tap to her for that. And Mason Shaw, people love hearing Mason Shaw. Will be a guest on our show eventually here, uh, coming up. But I think people need want to focus on the trade deadline. Uh, the next couple of weeks, it'll be all we'll probably be writing about. Uh, we'll have some uh, some trade tiers coming up later this week. Me and Mike uh, looking at who might be moved from the Wild perspective uh we'll do a little mailbag for our insider next week so we'll be sending out some uh tweets about that and it gets your questions so feel free to hit me up on twitter uh any questions you want to have answered for that one and we had something fun run uh, hopefully you guys all read it and saw it tuesday morning annual player poll uh talked about 24 different wild players uh on a lot of fun topics uh basically a chance for them to kind of rip, rip on each other playfully 
uh, much as they could. Um, you know, best dressed, worst dresser, who's always late, who doesn't pick up the tab when they go to a restaurant, which there are many guilty parties apparently uh, in this group. But, you know, I'm sure you felt bad for poor Brendan Duhame, who won several categories you probably didn't want to win. Like, <laughs> worst dress, didn't pick up the tab. And I don't know, my favorite or least favorite is guy you wouldn't want to let date your daughter. So um, he was, uh, wow. he, he hung with it and, and took it right. And as players told us as we were doing it, you know, you don't rip on a guy and do these things if you don't really love him and don't really care. And sure. uh, the, the fellowship sort of, of the rinks uh, homage to that, they definitely had some fun with each other on who was best and who was not. And there was a lot of fun debates talking to like Zuccarello about who was the best soccer player pregame. And he said he was, and Carrillo was like BS man, blah, 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 blah. And they went back and forth. So you definitely see different sides of players when you do those kind of questions, because they, uh, they all have a story to tell about each other and they all cared up to get thoughtful answers. Like who would be the next, who would be the best GM or who would be the best coach and broadcaster were some interesting answers. I thought in that poll too. Galagoski getting the nod for GM. Um, oh, okay. for broadcaster. Uh, it's one player told me he could talk all day and he has to look for it. So um, make sure to look up that if you get a chance, because uh, we did a lot of work on that one over the course of a few months to talk to each player and ask them 17 questions about their teammates. So something to pick up and, and check out going forward but but yeah the next couple of weeks in the athletic will be a lot of trade deadline news and notes and um analysis and 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 michael down the road in arizona and uh colorado and i'll be here working the phones and both of us combining this uh you the most comprehensive trade deadline coverage we didn't think it'd be busy last year and there are much of trades so this year could be really fascinating when in the middle ground of of selling and and buying so keep a look out for that nice and i, I will defend brandon duham a little bit here Winning worst dressed when I'm pretty sure this season Mark Andre Fleury has dressed him like half the games, uh, just yeah. by fault with his pranks. So I, I think that's a little unfair, but no, awesome article as we record. It's dropping tomorrow, so I'm excited to read it. But everyone, as this drops, go check it out. Uh, what maybe give one teaser then on it too, Joe? What was the biggest surprise to you? You don't even have to necessarily go into details but like which category were you most shocked by the responses some of them were were easy like the best dressed one um kind of thing favorite twin cities athlete that wasn't a wild player was a pretty close close oh. call whether it's a vikings or a twins or got some old school names in that list as well um trying to think of a, a fun one that was that was different i think like who always who spends the most time in the gym and <laughs> the weight room. And I think you'll be surprised about who that might be. Um, Everyone wrote in Yarm or Yager. <laughs> and might be the same guy who, who won the category of who would be the guy you teammate, you let date your daughter. So oh. nice guy. So uh, check that out. A lot of fun. And we'll do it again next year. But when you get 24 players, different thoughts on stuff, it most obnoxious in the group chat. That's a good one too. So, and if they do have, they should do a, a, play, a poll for athletic writers, too. It would be a lot of fun for us to do that about each other. Yeah, we'll never do that on the Soda Pod. If we had a, a poll like that for all of our contributors, mm. it, it'd, go, it'd go the wrong direction. Go sideways. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well, that, that is a wrap then, everybody. Uh, next week, tune back in, as we've alluded, NHL trade deadline coverage, state tourney primer, and our interview that we've got queued up for this week with 
Taylor Heisey of Team Minnesota in the PWHL. Uh, thank you to those of you tuning in on Google, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Folks, best thing you can do for us this week is give us a five-star review on iTunes, Apple Podcast. We did just hit a 1,000 subscribers this past week as well on YouTube, and you all rock. For those that haven't yet, please do subscribe and check out the channel for anything from you know clips from these interviews that we keep bringing you, beer reviews, and we've even got prospect highlight reels dropping from resident prospect guru spoked z but signing off here uh scott alongside joe smith of the athletic for yet another installment here i guess technically the first one where we set it of fellowship of the rinks you stay classy state of hockey